One of the things that we all have in common is that we're all experiencing life today shaped and molded by what happened a long time ago. Our past experiences, they play a powerful role in influencing and shaping how we live in the present. And one of the ways and one of the places that happens is our money. The experiences we had as children with money in our household. The experience maybe we had at the beginning of our adult lives. And as many people have said, a lot of us are either reacting against or trying to recreate our past experiences when it comes to money. And Michael Jr. is a comedian, and in this clip, he gets at this idea in a really funny way, much better than I could. Watch the screens. Even as a kid, growing up, we were poor. We weren't even poor, we were poor. We couldn't afford the other letters, man. We had no money. I was actually being sponsored by a family from Haiti. That's a funny joke. <laughs> I see this lady over here struggling. She don't know if she should laugh. And I said, <laughs> When you're poor, your creativity excels. Like it really, really excels. I remember I wanted an action figure when I was 10 years old. I wanted an action figure so bad. My birthday came along. My dad hands me a box. I open it up. It's empty. He said, it's invisible, man. I was like, that is awesome. I played with that thing for like three weeks, man. So my brother hid it from me. Couldn't find it nowhere, man. I knew he took it. We played games. We just made up games. We played this one game called uh, Talk About You. The instructions were to just talk about you. That's all we did. We talked about each other. My friends would talk about me, but Michael Jr., you got some big feet. And I was good at this game. I was like, oh, yeah, well, you're so dark skinned. I bet if you ride a motorcycle, you get a ticket for tenant windows. It's <laughs> hilarious. White people looking for black people, make sure they can laugh. It's just okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay? You sure? No? Hmm? We ain't had no money, man. We had to... My parents would buy us some stuff, but they couldn't pay for everything. Like, we had the game Operation, right? We ain't had no batteries. Then my cousin came over, and he figured out a way how to plug it into the wall, right? It's a whole nother game now. <laughs> Maybe you can relate to Michael's experience, or, or maybe you have a different experience. But, but a lot of us, we're like this ball of clay here, except we're not nearly this perfectly formed. Maybe we're more like this one right here, the next one, the, the one that has pieces kind of broken and lines, and, and we've all been shaped. We've all been molded. We've all been impacted by our past experiences, and not just when it comes to money, The present that you're experiencing today is in many ways you could draw lines back to the past. 
And the way that you even engage with God is impacted by all of those things. And that isn't just like a new thing. It's actually an ancient reality. And it's often a picture of why it's hard to follow Jesus. I, I stumbled on a legend recently from the time of the Crusades. Now, the Crusades are one of the biggest self-inflicted black eyes on the history of the church. Horrific things were done in the name of God. And there are many people, even today, that when they learn the history of the church in this period, they go, I can't actually be part of that because of what happened then. But in the middle of that season, there was a group called the Knights Templar. You may have heard of them from National Treasure, the, the peak of Nicolas Cage's movie career, you know? And in that, in that season, the Knights Templar would go to these crusades. But to be involved in a crusade, according to legend, you had to be baptized first. Now, I say legend because I know what happens sometimes on Sunday morning. When you get bored during my sermon, you fact-check me with Google on your phone. And so I'm just telling you, this is a legend. I can't verify this actually happened. But according to legend, to go on these crusades, you had to be baptized. Well, many of these men who were going to go to war had to get baptized, but they wrestled with what they were supposed to do with their swords. And so as the legend goes, they had created a bargain with the church. We'll go to war for you on one condition. We can keep our swords And so as legend tells it, when they got baptized, they had their sword, and they would get lowered into the water with their sword extended out of the water. Everything would go in the water except for their sword. It was a symbol. I'll give you my whole life, Jesus, except for this. I'll surrender everything I have to you, but this I'm going to hold on to, and with it I'm going to do whatever I want. Now, none of us have ever done that before. Maybe it's not a sword for you. Maybe it's your wallet. Or maybe it's your phone. I don't think anything else in my pockets, I promise. <laughs> but, but maybe there's something in your life that because of your relationship with it in the past, the present is a challenge because you don't want to let go of that thing. You don't want to surrender that thing. Now, Brent, you know, I didn't tell you it was an option to hold anything out for your baptisms, so, because it's not. Um... But that picture to me, whether the legend is true or not, is a powerful one. And I thought of it this this week because I was looking back over where we've been in this series, this different kind of money series. You know, we started in week one with this idea that real change begins when we invite God into the issues behind our money issues. We said that many of our issues with money are, are actually below the surface. They're not really dollars and cents issues. And then in week two... 
We said that our enemy uses money to talk to us, and he lies. And we identified these lies that our enemy tells us, that you'll be happier if you have more money. You'll be more secure if you have more money. In week three, we talked about the fact that God's plan for our money is simple, but never easy. That it's, it's one thing to know what it is that God wants you to do, and it's something else entirely to do it again and again. And then in week four last week, our friend John Putnam came and He talked about how talk is cheap, but God's results are priceless. That many times when we start talking about money, these other issues keep bubbling up and they make those conversations so hard. And as I was looking back over that series, this series I've been in for the last month or so, what I found was a thread that I didn't plan on putting in there. I didn't plan it this way. But I noticed that there was something that all of these messages had in common. That this series about money, it wasn't about our habits and our actions primarily, it was primarily about our hearts. Because the issue for those Knights Templar soldiers wasn't their sword. They weren't holding their sword out of the water preeminently. They were holding that piece of their heart out and saying, God, you can have all of that stuff except for this part. You can have all these pieces of my heart, except for the part where I have desires I know don't honor you. Except for the part of me where I want to do things that I know don't fit the way you want me to live. And that's the thing that if you don't deal with, it doesn't matter how much I do my best Dave Ramsey impression today and teach you financial principles. Until that changes, nothing else will change. And that's why our big idea this morning is this. That a transforming heart sustains transforming money habits. A transforming heart sustains transforming money habits. If you want to see your habits when it comes to money change and continue to change and sustain longer than the end of this year, longer than the end of this week, it will take more than your best willpower. It will take more than your best self-discipline. It will take more than your best effort. It will take a transforming heart, a heart that's continually being transformed to sustain those habits. And Jesus talked about this idea in an interesting conversation in the book of Matthew chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open up to Matthew 15. Matthew is one of the four accounts or biographies of the life of Jesus. Matthew includes um, some of his longest teaching, some of his parables. And like the other accounts of the life of Jesus, it includes these back and forth that Jesus has with the religious leaders who were dominating that day. And in this conversation, he pushes back on some common or traditional teaching, and he introduces a new way of seeing, a new perspective, a new paradigm. Beginning in verse 1 of Matthew 15, this is what we read. The Pharisees and scribes, those were those religious leaders, they came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Now, we're going to pause right there. In that day, it was a tradition or a ritual that every time you came in, you would wash your hands in this ceremony before you ate so that your hands would be purified or cleansed. And they're saying to him, your disciples don't do this. Why don't they do this? Let's go to the next one. And Jesus answered them, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Let's keep going. 
In verse 4, he says, For God commanded, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Let's keep going. In verse 5, he says, But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, what you have gained from me is given to God. Let's pause right there. So, so there was this tradition that with these religious leaders that they would dedicate a part of their money before they died to God, and yet their family would still be in need. And when faced with their families, he says, well, I've already promised it to God. You can't have it. I can't use it to take care of you. And, and Jesus is saying, that's a problem. You have this money to help your family, and you're not using it. What you've gained from me is given to God, they said. In verse 6, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. And then he goes on to quote Isaiah the prophet. He says, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said these words? He said, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So he's saying, hey, you say that you dedicated these things to me and you want to honor me, but you're actually overlooking what I care about most, which is caring for your family. Let's see in verse 10 what he says next. And he called the people to him and he said to them, hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person. But what comes out of his mouth, this defiles a person. They're still living under a lot of food laws, that certain foods are unclean or unkosher. And he's saying, hey, it's not actually the food that goes into your mouth that defiles you. It's what comes out of your mouth. This defiles you. In verse 12, he goes on. He says, the disciples said to him, do you know the Pharisees were offended when they heard you saying this? Jesus, hey, they're kind of mad at you. And then in verse 13, we learn what Jesus thinks. And he goes, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted, it will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. I don't think he's too offended about their offense. In verse 15, Peter says, explain this parable to us. And Jesus says, are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled. Basic biology here, people. And then he says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. And then in verse 20, he closes with this. He says, these are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. From this passage, I want to share with you today three lessons about transforming hearts. Because I believe that if you want to see your financial habits change in a sustained way, and you not just slip back to the way you've always done it, the secret is a continually transforming heart. And here's what Jesus says, number one. He says that we get caught up in external actions, while God's eternal concern is the state of our hearts. We tend to get caught up in all of the externals, all of our external actions, but God is more concerned with what is happening in our hearts. In Matthew 15, verse 7, he says, you hypocrites, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you? This was hundreds of years earlier when he said these words. He said, this people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. He says, I don't really care what they're saying. I care what they're doing. I don't care that they're saying all the right words. They can memorize everything or regurgitate back to me what the Bible says or what the law says. What I'm concerned with is their heart is far from me. And because of that, in vain do they worship me. 
because they teach as doctrines the commandments of men. He's saying, hey, you're all concerned with external actions, but what God is most concerned about is the state of your heart, which no one can see. This is not a new idea, though. If you go back to the beginnings of the Bible, when King David was chosen to succeed King Saul, God spoke to the prophet Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, and he said, Samuel, do not look on David's appearance or the height of his stature, because he was short, because I have rejected him. I'm sorry, he was speaking about his brothers. He says, for the Lord sees not as man sees. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Why does God care so much about our heart? Because he knows that our heart is the best picture of who we truly are. And he knows that anybody can put on a good face. He knows that anybody can play the game well. He knows that anybody can put on a mask. And he knows that if changed hearts happen, changed hearts will always lead to changed behavior. If your heart changes, it will always manifest in your actions. But if you try to change your actions as a way of changing your heart, it doesn't go that way. Eventually, you get tired. Eventually, you get frustrated. Eventually, you feel like a hypocrite. Now, this is not relevant at all coming into the holidays. Playing a game, putting on a face, pretending, going along to get along. It's not relevant at all. But most of us know the frustration sometimes of these gatherings we have during this season where we feel like we have to be something we're not. And so we change our behavior, but we know that doesn't actually change our hearts. Until our hearts change, we'll never see sustained change in our behavior. Earlier in this series, a woman came up to me and she said, Scott, I I know a lot of things you've taught in this series. I go, good, awesome. And she goes, and and, and there was a season where I got out of credit card debt. I go, "That's, that's awesome. She goes, but recently I fell back into it. She said, and I'm not really sure why. Like, I know that it's wrong. And she goes, I, I kind of came in the series thinking you were just going to pound us over the head about tithing, and you're not. I said, I know. I told you I wasn't. And she said, you know what I learned? And I said, what have you learned? She said, I think my issue isn't credit cards. I think my issue is something deeper. Because I know up here that I shouldn't be doing this. But I think something deeper is driving my decisions. I said, man, that's... That's a powerful aha moment. And if you deal with those things that are driving those decisions, that will change the way you spend. That's the first lesson. The second lesson from this passage is this, that who we are is revealed in what we do. Who we are is revealed in what we do. Jesus said this in verse 10 of Matthew 15. He said, he called the people to him. He said, hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. If you're like me at some point in your life, you have said something that made it past your filter before you could stop it. And it's going out and you're trying to grab it. No, it's, it's been said. And what's been said cannot be unsaid. And you go, I'm so sorry. I don't know what came over me. And that's a lie. You know, I know, 
That truth deep down there that you've been trying to hide and squelch down, eventually it came out. You do think those things about that person. You've been trying to say it for so long. And eventually, guess what? It just came out. What we do is an expression of who we are. And those things that are actually true in us, they eventually come out, even when we squelch them down. Eventually, like that boiling pot, it bubbles over. And what I've learned is that activity expresses identity. The activities in our lives are an expression of who we truly are. And you may try to hide your sense of who you truly are. You may try to hold that off, but eventually the truth of that is going to come out. For all of us, who we are is not who we say we are. It's who our actions reveal we are. And most of us play games with ourselves. I've learned over the years that we tend to judge ourselves by our intentions. We judge our friends by their actions. And we judge our enemies by their mistakes. When the truth is, we aren't our intentions. Who we really are is expressed in our activity. And it's especially true when it comes to money. Billy Graham once said, give me five minutes with a person's checkbook, and I will tell you where their heart is. Now, I know for a lot of you, this quote doesn't make sense. So here's the next slide. This is a checkbook. <laughs> Some of you have never seen this before. It's an ancient piece of technology. You used to write down your name on this, and then they would bring this big thing out, and they would go ka-chunk, ka-chunk, you know, and, and you'd have to provide a picture of yourself to prove that it was you, and you'd have to sign, and you had to make a line all the way to the end in case somebody came in and added more money. I mean, it was just... So maybe for you, it's not about give me five minutes with your checkbook. Maybe it's give me five minutes with your phone. So I changed Graham's quote, and I added a little bit of my own here. And let's go to the next slide. Give me five minutes with a person's phone, and I'll tell you where their heart is. You know, you can actually, now if you have the new, newest version of iOS for your iPhone, you can actually track how many minutes you're on each app every day. But if I was to take your phone, and I had your code to go into your bank, and I spent five minutes with your phone, what would I learn? I would learn about your activity which would clue me into your identity. And see, we spend so much of our time managing the externals, our actions, other people's perceptions of us. But at the end of the day, we struggle and we wonder, why am I not changing? Because we're just managing the externals. And sustained money habit change comes from a transforming heart. And as our heart continues to change, that will fuel the continual changes of our habits. Because none of us are that strong to just hold out willpower forever to change our habits. Many of us have experienced the kind of frustration that Dino and Brent both talked about in their stories, 
where you worked really hard to manage it in your own power, but eventually you came to the end of yourself and you realized, I can't do this in my own power and strength. I need God to come in and change my heart so that I want different things. And as I want different things, my habits will follow. Next, next slide. Jesus said these words. He said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And when you want those things, your heart is going to be there with it. And so you, you need to say, hey, am I, am I changing the right thing? Because who I am will always be revealed in what I do. Third and final lesson. Jesus didn't just come to modify behavior. He came to transform hearts. One of the biggest myths about Christianity is that we are all just in some giant self-help behavior modification program. And many times, you and I have experienced church to be a place where people care more about your behavior than they care about your heart. They care about doing all the right things. There's some of you in the room who grew up in a church that was very legalistic, where it was all about doing all the right things. And you and I both know that we can play the game really well. We can do all the right things and still hold on to that heart. That's why you meet somebody. They say, I've been a Christian for 50 years, and you go, you're the meanest, angriest, crabbiest person I've ever met. Because they have been focused on behavior modification. They've been holding their sword out of the water and not letting God touch that part. And at the end of that passage we read earlier in Matthew 15, Jesus says to Peter, are you still without understanding? Do you see not that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? It's not about what you eat, Peter. He continues at the end. He says, what counts is what comes out of the mouth, what proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are the things that reveal the true nature of what's going on inside of your heart. And when you say, I don't know what came over me, yes, you do. Your heart got revealed. And you don't like it. But that is the truth of who you really are. And Jesus is not coming just to change our behavior, to make us nice and neat, little billies and sues. He's coming to change our hearts. One of the quotes that really was the beginning and the genesis of this series came from Pastor Tim Keller. And he said, money cannot save you from tragedy or give you control in a chaotic world. You know how true that is? There are people right now who are homeless in one of the wealthiest zip codes in the country in Malibu. Their wealth and their success did not protect them from that fire. Some of you have experienced that having wealth does not protect you from trials and crises in your family. Our friend John Putnam came last week. He told me something interesting. He said, if you go to globalrichlist.com, globalrichlist.com, you can put in your annual income, and it will tell you where you rank in the wealth of people in this, in this world. So I put in $33,000 because I figured that would hit most of you in this room. If you make $33,000 a year, you are in the 0.8% richest in the world. You're the 1%. And being in that 1% does not protect you from cancer. It doesn't protect you from divorce, challenges with your kids, problems in your marriage, 
depression, anxiety, thoughts of suicide. Money cannot protect you from all that. Money cannot save you from tragedy or give you control in a chaotic world. Only God can do that. And what breaks the power of money over us is not just redoubled effort to follow the example of Christ. Let's keep going. Rather, it is a deepening understanding of the salvation of Christ, what you have in him, and then living out the changes that understanding makes in your heart. This series has not been about teaching you the latest tricks and tips and hacks to manage your money. There are people smarter and wiser than me who can help you with that. What I want, what I think you want, is for God to change our hearts. Because when he changes our hearts, everything else follows. That's why I recommend Dave Ramsey's stuff. He's great. He'll teach you how to get out of debt. I used his debt snowball plan. We even used his cash envelope system for a while because we kept spending money we didn't have. He has a great seven-step, baby-step process to work through getting out of debt, and it's great. But here's the thing. If you just manage all of these habits and don't go after your heart, eventually even Dave's program will fail you because your willpower only lasts so long. When I was young, my mom introduced me to this idea that Jesus, when he comes into our life, he moves into our heart. Now, that's not actually true, like literally. He doesn't live in my heart. It's actually the Holy Spirit, but that's a sermon for another day. But she said, Scott, I want you to imagine your heart like a house. There's a kitchen and a bedroom and a bathroom and a living room and closets And she said, like what happens when we have company over, we tend to take the parts of our life that we don't want people to see and we shove them in the closets. And then eventually you get one of those nosy friends who ends up in the drawer or the cabinet or the closet they shouldn't be in. And you're like, what are you doing in here? That's where all the mess is. And it's one thing when it's an annoying friend. It's something else entirely different when it's God. And when God moves into your heart, he's not content to stay in the nice and neat areas you've cleaned up for him. He's going to push his way, back to that, back, back, back to that picture, he's going to push his way into every piece of your heart. The parts you want him in and the parts you don't. He's not coming in to tidy up your behavior. He's coming in to completely renovate your house. And he's going to tear down walls. He's going to end up in the places you don't want him to go. He's going to mess with the stuff that you don't want him to mess with. Because he's not trying to make you a nice and neat person. He's coming to completely transform who you are. And that's what baptism is it's not behavior modification. It's not cleaning up your habits. It's saying, God, I'm a mess. And I don't need you to just clean me up. I need you to make me a brand new person. And so the heart of this series, the reason why it's been a different kind of money series, is we're not trying to change your financial habits. We're trying to lead you to a place where God will transform your heart. Because that's the only thing to the big idea that will sustain those transforming money habits. It's a transforming heart.
And that's where we all want to be. So here's some next steps for you today. The first one is I want to challenge you to practice ruthless self-examination. Ruthless self-examination. My friend Matt taught me that. And there's three questions I want you to ask yourself this week that are hard questions. What has God taught me in this series? What is it God's been speaking to me? The comfortable and the uncomfortable lessons. Two, what does my financial ledger reveal about my heart? Go online and click the 60 or 90 day button on your online bank account and just scroll through and see what you've spent your money on. Maybe add it up. I'd be surprised how much you've spent there or you've spent there. Why were you spending there? Yeah, it's only $5, but why? What does that reveal about your heart? And then number three, what are you holding out of the water? Maybe it's not a sword, but maybe it's something else that you're saying, you can't have this yet, Jesus. Number two, I want you to identify a money buddy to encourage you as you build new habits. Last week, admittedly, was not a great Sunday if you were here and not a couple. And I'm sorry about that. But here's the thing. Everybody needs a money buddy as you figure this stuff out. And sometimes, even if you have a spouse, that person who holds you accountable shouldn't be your spouse. Because you only got one spouse. You got lots of options for money buddies. But identify somebody who can help you and encourage you as you build these new habits. Number three, I would encourage you to sign up for True Money Freedom. That's the seminar John Putnam, who was here last week, is going to give in January. And the next slide talks about that. It's going to be on January the 12th at our roster campus. We're going to feed you lunch, give you a copy of his book and his guide, which honestly is pretty close to that $49 per person. And so if you go, man, I want to make a different year in 2019 than I had in 2018, this could be great. But if you go, Scott, I don't need that. Guess what? You know somebody who does. And maybe you could give them a Christmas present this year by them coming to this class. Maybe you could give yourself a Christmas present by coming to this class. Maybe knowing that you're going to this class would change how you spend this Christmas. But I'd encourage you to sign up. And then number four, I'd encourage you to give thanks to God every day for his provision in your life. In the book of First Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul commands us to do three things every day. Choose joy, pray, and give thanks. And here's what I've learned. If you can't give God thanks now for what you have, you will never give him thanks when you have more later. And what builds that kind of heart that we've been talking about is gratitude. When you realize that God has met your needs and you have enough, and you thank him for that on a daily basis, you push back on the greed that's filling up your phone right now with unwanted emails from companies you have no idea how they even got your email, the way you push back against that is gratitude. And as we build grateful hearts, God does a great work. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.cornerstone.com prescottcornerstone.com